So much fun over there. I didn't realize I was already on. Sorry about that. <laughs> How are you? Great to see you tonight. I'd ask you who won the game, but I don't care. <laughs> it was an all-star game today for basketball, I think. Anyway, don't know. Okay, so I gave you homework last week. Anybody do it? All right, then we're not going to go back and check it. So let's jump in. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And what I want to do tonight, we're beginning now. We've been at this a while, and we've tried to hand you some tools. And so we're going to use some of those tools tonight as we go back and kind of get some of the backstory of what we did. So this morning's message on this particular parable, let's go ahead and read the parable And let's get it out there on the table one more time. So, somebody read Luke 10, 25 through 37. Okay, thank you. So, we have have a rule of thumb that we've placed on the table as we come to look at these parables, right? And it has to do with how many points, main points, the parable teaches. So, what's that rule of thumb? Okay, so in this, so the, the rule of thumb is that every main character gets a point, all right? And so how many main characters, all right? Now David's right, this is a complex parable. How many points, though? It looks like four, doesn't it? All right? But David said it's a complex Three point. Didn't you say that? Or is that just in my notes? All right. So what's the... All right. So now we have to deal with this question, right? So there's four main characters, or at least it looks that way. But what makes it three? So we'll go back to the way that I preached it this morning. And there's a clue there for you. The priest and the Levite form one group. Okay, and I think I said it that way this morning. As a matter of fact, several times I said different groups here, but that was not exactly the right way to say it because there's one group and then that leaves two individuals. You with me? Okay, so that's what makes this complex. Here's a rule of thumb. Okay, so this is just a little nuance into that rule that we've been following. Typically, if there, typically it's going to be no more than three Main characters, main points. And in some cases, when it looks like there's extra people there, if you look at it, not just people, but entities, elements, if you look at it, there's usually a grouping that can happen there. All right? And it's usually either grouping for the good or grouping for the not so good. Which one was this one, the priest and the Levite? Not so good, at least the way the preacher took it this morning, right? So that's what makes this a complex as opposed to a simple three-point. Those two form a group together. Now, with that in mind, uh, what are... Let, I'm, this is a difficult question, and I know it, so I'm going to give you a little bit to think through it. Can you think of any other parables that Jesus told that fit the complex model? More than three, but they still group to three. Should I make that a homework assignment? (laughs) 
I'll just tell you the answer rhymes with talents, okay? So we, were gonna, we are going to get to that one in our series, so I'm just going to leave that there right now. So let me, let me, let's go back a little bit into your exposure to teachings or sermons tied to the Good Samaritan parable. I said in the first service, I didn't say it in the second, but this morning I got up pretty early and um, I was, that wasn't this morning, it was last night, uh, Teresa was off in another part of the house doing something and so I was scrolling through the different non-options of watching TV, okay? <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, I sure pay a lot of money for options and I don't see a whole lot of options here. And I got to that section uh, and I saw that Charles Stanley's program was about to come on. Now, I grew up listening to Charles Stanley. My mom and dad would have Charles Stanley on at the house on Sunday mornings before dad would go over and preach. I always wondered where he got his sermons, but um, no, that's not fair. He, dad was a great preacher. Um, and so several people have been telling me that Charles Stanley, what they're airing, is doing a series on parables also. And that doesn't matter to me. I, don't, I usually don't watch any preachers on TV or listen to very many preachers on the radio as a rule because I don't want to get convoluted in my head. And so, but at this point, because of that conversation I had with several people, I thought, I'm going to watch a little bit of this. And so I flipped it on, and sure enough, as soon as that choir finished singing, he jumped up, and he started talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I thought, you sorry dog, you're stealing. <laughs> And I, I purposely didn't listen to much because I don't want to be convoluted. I, you know, I'd rather, much rather hear from the Holy Spirit than what some other preacher has to say. And so, um, so I listened to about maybe 30 seconds of it. I don't know. It couldn't have been much more than that. And he made a comment about the parable of the Good Samaritan that was the same thing I said in both services today, which is be careful with a parable you're so familiar with that you don't get teaching out of it anymore it just became oh yeah i know that okay but then he also said the main point of the parable of the good samaritan anybody watch charles stanley okay know what he said we'll take a guess on what he said was the main point of the parable of the good samaritan who's your neighbor okay be the good samaritan that's the way i said it today uh and i think that's really kind of the way jesus said it but uh, Stanley went on record saying, that's it. All right, my question, I'm not picking with Charles Stanley. I'm much smarter than to pick a fight with a guy like him, okay? Um, we're not in competition, he and I, right? But I took an element of this parable that he didn't bring up, at least in that overview statement right there. What was the part of the parable today that was different from what you've heard in the past? The traveler is the way I said it. I'm not really sure the best way to say that, but he's the guy who's the victim, all right? And so part of the emphasis of that not only was but continues to be each of us is that guy. If we intend to have a saving faith, a relationship with Jesus Christ as Savior of our life, you have to be the traveler. You have to reach a point in your life where you realize, I need help. I can't do this. All right? So what I want to do tonight is I want to go back. Now, this is, 
You're the end of a long day, so I'm not sure how long we're going to last here tonight, but I'm going to try to take you through a few things, and let's see what we get. Yes, sir. Okay, it's a good point. Uh, along, not, not exactly along those lines, but maybe corollary to that, is Edgardo caught me this afternoon, and he asked me if I knew the sermon that Martin Luther King Jr. preached on the Good Samaritan parable. And my answer was, no. <laughs> and so he told me that what Martin Luther King Jr. said was, he said that the Good Samaritan is not really the best picture here. Because he didn't address the systems that made it okay for somebody to get rolled like that. All right? Here's what I want you to get from that. Multiple applications emerge when you come, from, come to the text. The responsibility we have as interpreters of Scripture, and that's you and me both, right? I'm not the only one who does that. If we believe in the priesthood of the believer, that means you have not just the opportunity, but the responsibility to handle scripture well, all right? And so when we come to this, we know that we need to get to the meaning of it. In this case, three points, we think. But the applications are multiple. That's one of the beautiful things about scripture. That God wrote it in such a way that the Holy Spirit enlivens it when we come to study it. And he can bring it to bear on modern day life just like he did on somebody who read this parable in the year 300 A.D. It's an amazing thing and it points to the power of the Holy Spirit to breathe life into his scripture. Right? Yes, ma'am. Let's try that on for size. Anybody in here, just raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to talk about it. But anybody in here ever been on the receiving end of a church ministry, whether it's ours or somebody else's? that mirrors what she's just saying, and hands go up all over the place. Yeah, okay. So that's part of what we find here. Lots of applications grow out of this. So here's my question to you, all right? <clears throat> I really want to put it, let's, let's make it as a statement first. The, the question becomes, so is it okay for me to go to a place that many don't go to? Here's a principle for you. When you come to study scripture and you find something new that 2,000 years of church history hasn't found, you need to be careful. Okay? Matter of fact, you need to be really reluctant to run into some new interpretation somewhere because that's typically where heresy comes. Okay? So, uh, I knew when I was preaching this message that when I got to the third point, which was the traveler... And that each of us is the traveler. I know that that's not a regularly preached or taught concept out of this passage. I know that so much. And I'm concerned enough about stepping off into a problem that leads church people into a problem. That we're going to take a bunch of time here now to help you see why it's okay for us to do that. First of all, it's not a new teaching. Okay, I can take you to a number of different scholars who have, who have gone there. All right? It's just not the traditional focal point of this. And I think one of the reasons it's not the f- traditional focal point of this parable is because we're a little bit lazy with Scripture passages that we know really well. And so we hear, be the Samaritan, and we go, yeah, well, I've heard that before. So let's take a step now. Let me show you actually a multiple steps here, five or so to be exact. 
to show you where we get. So how does the context set up that point that I made today, which is we're the traveler? Answering the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How does the context set that up? So let's go backwards now. And we're going to be from Luke chapter 9, verse 51, moving forward. Let me just share this with you, okay? In Luke chapter 9, verse 51 through Luke chapter 19, verse 26, we have what scholars refer to as the travel narrative. This is Jesus as he is traveling through the countryside on mission. That's a 10-chapter stretch, and it's full of stuff, as we're going to find here in just a few minutes. We're not even going to cover all 10 of those chapters. We're going to find multiple different points that drive a single thing and a single context point, all right? So let's read first chapter 9, verse 51 through 56. Somebody read that passage, please. One of my favorite passages in all the New Testament. That's the road travel, boys. Spouting off bad theology. That's what that is. Right? So what's the context? Here's the question I'm going to ask you in every one of these. How does this set of scripture, this circumstance, how does that contribute to set up the parable that we looked at this morning? Okay? I'm going to ask you that about every one of these passages. So we go back to the first entry on the travel narrative. Where's Jesus traveling to based on verse 51? All right, let me rephrase that for you. The cross. Okay, by the time you get to Luke chapter 19, well, what's going on in Luke chapter 19? Jump over there. Somebody tell me when you see it. Luke chapter 19 and verse uh, 26 is the end of that. And so verse 27 is the end of that. And so verse 28 is triumphal entry. So this travel narrative that Jesus gives is that final body of teaching that he's giving as he's making his way to the cross. So how does that little section with James and John, the sons of thunder, offering to call down fire from heaven? Isn't it interesting? Isn't it just spiritually spiritually prideful for them to go to Jesus and say, you want us to handle this for you? I hate it when I find myself in Scripture like that. So they offered a nuclem. We're going to call down fire from heaven. Why? What was their reasoning for doing that, wanting to do that? Who was it? Ah, the Samaritans. Let's not miss that, all right? So the entry into this travel narrative occurs where Jesus and his disciples are passing through and a bunch of Samaritans are not willing to let Jesus be Jesus there. Okay? So how does that fit and set up the parable that we talked about this morning? Okay? All right? That's a great... I hadn't really thought about that, actually. But Jesus is the traveler here. Right? And who is it that is dismissing him? Does that feed the narrative that we find in the Good Samaritan? Remember what I, I titled this thing the Good Terrorist just as a way to shock everybody and to go, wait a minute, what? Because right? we know the parable so well. We need something that kind of knocks us off center a little bit. And so the Samaritan, well, the Samaritans, they would never do something godly. Yes, sir. Well, 
I've, I've been around church people enough to believe that some of the other disciples must have gone, see, you guys were trying to kill them, and they're the heroes of the whole bit. <laughs> okay. So let me add another word into this from the Samaritan village thing. It would be fair to say that they showed no compassion to Jesus. All right. So that's just one entry into what sets up this parable. Here's, a, here's what I want you to get as we work our way through these five different setups. Okay? Especially when it's a passage or a, in this case, a parable that you're very familiar with. If you want to make sure that you're not just kind of hitting it a lick and moving on, go backward and work into it to see if it's not part of a bigger unit of Scripture that the writer, in this case Luke, puts together to help teach something about Jesus and life in the kingdom. Okay, So it's part of the travel narrative. He starts off with this negative connotation or negative situation with the Samaritans, and it underscores for us the relationship between Jews and Samaritans. All right? So now we take the next step. Somebody read, if you will, before, wait, before I tell you that, here's the question again. How does this contribute to set up the parable? So now we're nine, chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. All right, so what's going on in that little section? Okay, what, excuses about not doing what? Not following him? Okay, anybody else? That, that's, that's a good statement. What does? Following Jesus does, okay? All right, so there's enough already on the table. How does this help to set up the parable, okay? So I said, actually I had it in my notes, I didn't say it exactly this way this morning, but compassion drives us to be involved. And to be involved means we have to make an investment, okay? So how are these three guys not willing to make the investment in following Jesus? The answer is, they want to set the terms. You catch that? Now, there's another set of sermons out of this, and the passage we're looking at now, and eventually we'll get to it maybe. But uh, here's one of the things that we are notorious about, we being people. We love to tell God the terms in which we will follow. Well, I'll do this. You remember the old way, way back years ago? Well, you know, I, I, I would follow, I'm afraid he'll make me move to Africa. I hadn't heard that in a long time. But we are notorious for that. At the point of service that God opens in front of us, it is a very quick fallback for many of us to go, well, I, I, you know, I'll do it on my terms. Maybe the great example of this, actually from the Old Testament, you remember the guy named Naaman? He had a skin problem, and the prophet said, if you go dunk yourself out there in that muddy river, and he said, ah, are you kidding me? I'm king of the world. I don't have to do that. And, I'll, you know, and eventually, if the point is, if you're, going to do it God's, if you're going to do what God says, you have to do it God's way. That's another sermon we'll get to. So in this case, I think part of the setup here is that we see, remember the setup, the immediate setup for the parable? Is the guy comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I said in the second service, I think, 
Jesus wins round one of this mental skirmish because he says, if you do these things. And what does the guy say to him? Well, Jesus says, if you do these things, you shall have it, right? And the guy is, well, changes the question. I'll do it on my terms, and it'll have to be okay with God. And Jesus says, let me tell you a parable. Okay? So let's push that one to the side for a moment, and let's move on. By the way, here's another element I should have mentioned in the midst of all of that stuff. This ties us in with the traveler. And that is, you have to abandon yourself. If you want to inherit, inherit eternal life, you have to abandon yourself. You have to be the one who has nothing to offer. Okay? We'll get to that in a minute. Chapter 10 now, verses 1 through 12. How does this contribute to set up the parable? Somebody read chapter 10, 1 through 12. So what's going on there? That's a good word. That's a hard word. But it's a good word. What else do you see there? What else do we find there that helps to set up the parable? Okay. All right. Yes, ma'am. Why, why do you think? That's great. Great. Let me build off of that. All right. So why do you think Jesus told those disciples, don't take anything with you? Because he'll supply it. So they'll be dependent on him, right? Isn't that the situation of the traveler? He, he was at the mercy of everybody. Kind of like him sending the... There's another element in this little section that we just read that really is a problem for a lot of church people through the years I've found. What do you think about that part where Jesus says to them that when they don't re- receive you, I'm paraphrasing, when they don't receive you, just move on past them. Shake the dust off of your feet, which has a, a cultural symbolism for them and all of that. What do, you think, what do you think the disciples thought about that? No, let me ask this question. What do modern disciples think about that? Yes, sir. He did. That's another one that people have a real struggle with. Right, let me tell you where this came home for me, the real struggle of this. Uh, I had a lady who was one of our youth workers. She's actually one of the best youth workers I ever worked with. She loved teenagers like crazy. Her son and her daughter were part of the youth group when I was there. Her son is a guy that I talk about every once in a while. He serves, uh, matter of fact, I mentioned him a few weeks ago. Uh, he serves in the Atlanta area at a kind of a uh, treatment facility that specializes in addictive behavior with preachers and staff members, okay? And uh, so Brian grew up through much of my youth ministry in those three years that I was there, but his mom was an incredible youth worker. She loved kids. She loved kids so much that she had a hard time drawing a line with them. And I watched over a period of time how certain kids would use her and never intend to accept the message that she was given, but they just used her. And so one time she came to me and she was crying and she said, I, you know, I have such a burden for this kid and, and he just, you know, and I mean, he was doing things that were just, I mean, just wrong. And so I took her to that passage and I said, how much effort do you think you owe that kid 
And here's the real question. How much of your resource, physical, spiritual, emotional, how much of that resource is going to that kid and how many other kids are being left out of your ministry because you're putting so much there for someone who just refuses to get it? And it just scandalized her when I took her to that passage. Now, I get that. Okay, I, I do. I really do understand that. Uh, I've had family members who just weren't going to get it. They didn't want it. And it, no matter how much we put out there to try to get them to get it, they refused it. And it is a consuming thing for us. Yes. Okay. So maybe, see if this fits that, all right, and what you're saying also. Maybe we might say that if people continue to shut the door on the gospel, then sometimes we need to not want to kick it in and wait. Where, where does this fit this parable? And I would suggest to you that this fits the parable at the point of the lawyer who came to him saying, how should I inherit eternal life? But we skip over the first little part of that that says, wishing to test him. And so Jesus, I think, answers both of the questions. How do I inherit eternal life? You've got to be the traveler. You have to be beyond your own resource. But you also have to answer the question, who is my neighbor? Okay? We're getting kind of bogged down there. But that's a big thing, and it... it, it, it it deserves full attention and a full discussion so that we understand it because we would be just as wrong to use that text as a way of saying, well, they don't want to hear what I'm having to say, so I'm not going to tell them. Okay? That'd be just as wrong as saying, I'm going to have to move on to somebody who's willing to receive this message. Okay? It takes incredible spiritual insight and discernment to draw that line. I'm going to say it to you this way just to make sure that you don't go out with the wrong impression. Don't abandon somebody until God says to you, move on. Okay? If you're going to default, default to compassion. All right? Yes, ma'am. Okay? I would just say to that that God is the ultimate supplier of the resource. All right? So the only reason the Samaritan had anything to give is because God's been active in his life and he, he models that in with the innkeeper, and the innkeeper models that even as we go further. Yes, sir. Thank you. There you go. Right? And, and notice that along that lines, notice that the guy quotes the two great commandments. Right? <laughs> and Jesus still knows that he didn't get it. Right? So he pushes. The, let, me, let me take another step here. We're going to run out of time. So um, I was worried about finishing early, and y'all, now we're going to not finish it's a good problem to have. All right, so now we're in verses 13 through 16. How does this contribute to set up the parable? Chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Okay, I will. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. How does that fit 
the context of the parable. What's going on there? Okay? All right, so along those lines, now remember that these three cities that he's naming here, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, those are, the, those are the three cities that saw the majority of Jesus' ministry through the years, right? Miracles done there. Go back and read through the, the gospel up to this point, and you'll find that time after time, Jesus in that particular area, you remember Capernaum and Jesus and Peter's mother-in-law, wasn't it, that he healed and the four guys coming down through the roof, letting their buddy down? You know, it's Capernaum, walking on the water, that northern part, of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus' ministry was concentrated in this area most of the time. And they had seen things that nobody else had seen. And Jesus is now giving them woes, okay, th- which in Jewish, first century Jewish life especially, was bad news. And so he's saying to them, you've had the chance to see these things and still you reject it. So woe to you. And you are held at such a, an, an accountability level because of what you've seen that some of these wicked cities of the past would have seen it and repented in a heartbeat and y'all refused to do that. So we come back to the parable. Remember, this is a continuum of the travel narrative and Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to the cross. The reason it's the cross in Jerusalem is because these people, these religious leaders and others, are turning on him and saying, you're not who you say you are. And so it begins, Luke is, is writing this in such a way in this travel narrative that we have as Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem. It's just one brick in the wall after another for the Jewish people. So when that attorney comes to Jesus and starts to press him, he's digging into this angst among those religious leaders. And Jesus has about had enough of it. If you don't believe that, read those few verses again and see what he has to say. And so when he comes to the parable, all of a sudden maybe it's not so shocking that he goes to the Samaritans to be the ones who recognize and these two religious leaders didn't. This is a scathing parable when you get right down to it. Yes, sir. The good Samaritan. Go backward, right? And so that whole thing about if they receive you, then you share the message. But if they don't receive you, then you just keep on trucking. (laughs) Jesus is laying out, this is what I'm doing, guys. All right, we're going to run out of time. Let's go one more time. All right, that was verses 13 through 16. So finally we come now, verses 21 through 24. How does this contribute to set up the parable? Somebody read 21 through 24. So what is going on in these verses? Jesus' prayer reveals deep truth. What is he saying in that prayer? So does that fit the parable that he's about to tell or the circumstances around the parable? So what is the primary thing that they're missing? That last statement. That they're missing that this guy that they're trying to set up is in fact the Messiah. And they're willing, as we'll find by the time we get to the end of Luke's gospel, they're willing to kill him because they just don't get it. So it sets up the context, I think, as we move into the parable after this, that we find that this parable here, and all of this that we've just done, 
was background for the way I took the sermon this morning. Okay, Remember how I started out? I don't want anybody thinking, oh, he's just reaching out for some kind of thing that's not in there. Nobody's ever, you ever heard that before. Okay, so here's what I want you to get. All of this stuff that we've done tonight to pull together the context underscores the reality that Jesus is doing much more than just teaching about being compassionate to people who are in need. What Jesus is teaching about here is what does it take to get into the kingdom of heaven? And they're missing the fundamental thing, which is he's the Messiah. He's the king. If it's the kingdom of heaven, every kingdom has to have a king. He's the king, and he's the one who gets to decide what does it take to get in. And the priest and the Levite model, as so does, by the way, this lawyer. I, I don't think that we should envision... Those of you who are attorneys, you'll appreciate this. I don't think that we should envision and put on this guy a modern attorney. Okay? A lawyer in this context would have been one who took God's word in the Old Testament especially and put it to work in situations. Right? So in other words, this guy represents part of that religious establishment. And the religious establishment just didn't get it. Even the Samaritans really didn't get it, but the Samaritans seemed to be getting it better, better than the religious establishment of Israel. The disciples are the ones who really got it. It's more than just be compassionate. We must do that. That is so much part of who Jesus was and how he functioned that if we are not that way with people, we are backsliding in our Christian life. But... We all have to be the traveler and recognize we don't have what it takes. And Jesus steps into the mix for us and he says, if you want to inherit eternal life, you have to come to the end of yourself. Now we come to what we see. Now, I think in the first service, I talked about the perspective we have looking backwards. How do we answer the question, how do I inherit eternal life? We look backwards to the cross and the resurrection to answer that question. You have to trust Jesus Christ. But Jesus is telling this parable to this guy before that. And he's coming down to that basic truth that says, if you reject me, you don't have any hope. You don't have any hope. So, for good measure, we could go to Luke 10, 38 through 42, that says this. Now, as they went on their way, this is after the parable, right? Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted by much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, have you not seen this dirty, no good, lazy sister of mine? <laughs> Sorry, I embellished that a little. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me? Why? To serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. How does that fit the context of the parable that Jesus had just told? There's your homework. Let's pray. We'll let you go. All right? So, Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity to gather around your word and to kind of roll around in it and to be transformed by it. So we pray that you would help us to be good students of Scripture, 
Not to be satisfied with surface level stuff. But to allow your word to dig deep into our hearts and transform us. So that we might be those who do have ears to hear and eyes to see. And that we might be those bridges as we step out of this facility out into a a community that's full of people who need desperately your love and your life. So help us to be good disciples, good followers of you, to give you the freedom to transform us in even those deep, hard ways as much as the little intricate ways so that when people rub shoulders with us, they see Jesus Christ and not just us. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here.